Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. We hope the time you're going to spend with us will help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. We invite experts from around the world of work and life to give you ideas and most importantly, tools and tips to deal with anxiety in your world. And our guest today is our new and good friend, Nabila Ekstabalan, who leads people and corporate affairs for Walmart Canada. And Adrian and I both grew up in Canada, so this is going to be great fun. The company has 100,000 associates nationwide. When she was introduced at the company, she described herself as a recovering workaholic. We're going to be asking you about that uh, a little later, Nabila. <laughs> and before joining a Walmart, Nabila was the global head of digital, uh, digital transformation for IKEA, a district manager and then talent acquisition manager at Starbucks, and earned a master's degree in organizational behavior from the University of Texas. Go Longhorns. Uh, Nabila, we welcome you to our humble podcast. Delighted to have you here. Thank you for having me and congratulations to you both for your recent recognition in the global top 30 gurus. I'm really curious, Chester, is there, was there a little competition between you and Adrian, you being number three and him being number five? Have you guys voted that out? Always. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for bringing anxiety to the program already, Nabila. <laughs> No problem, my pleasure. <laughs> hey, we are so thrilled to have Nabila. Not only is she, as you can tell, a delightful human being, uh, but she's also got some amazing career credentials uh, and a great perspective on anxiety that she's going to bring to us. So first off, Nabila, tell us a little bit about your career. You, you know, you've been extremely successful, but you've also been very transparent about what you felt, uh, especially regarding anxiety as you've risen through the ranks. So if you can talk about your journey and and also how you found yourself with stress-induced anxiety attacks at one point in your career. Yeah, so um, I learned very early on as a, as a teenager that if you worked hard, you could you know achieve a lot. So I found out in high school that I could finish high school in three years instead of four. So I did that. I started working very young um, at, a, at Starbucks Coffee and worked my way up the ranks. And I just, I started to learn this concept that, you know, the more I worked, the more successful I could be. So I just started working a lot, worked, went to school. Um, and I, I was like soaked into this idea that the more I worked, the harder I worked, um, the more hours I put in, the more successful I, I could be. And that was basically my trajectory up until uh, becoming a store manager um, responsible for a hundred and thirty uh, million dollar business and three hundred associates, you know. At the same time as I was learning that skill, I was also living my life. You know, had kids, you know, went to university, all these types of things, and I got stuck into this belief that um, you just had to work as hard as you could in every facet possible to be successful. Until it caught up with me. And I had my first induced anxiety attack when I was a store manager. Um, I was also um, a recent mom. So I had just had my daughter and I was struggling with postpartum depression in silence. And I was a high functioning, you know, individual. I had, I had stress induced anxiety, postpartum depression, but when I went to work every day, you wouldn't have known, you couldn't, you wouldn't have known. Right. And I think that's one of the challenges with um, anxiety is that you learn how to manage it and you learn how to hide it. 
In, in the case of my story, I always had amazing leaders. I had an amazing work culture. Um, you know, Starbucks and Ikea are very people-centered, purpose-driven organizations that really care for their people. And the culture, is that the culture that I experienced? My challenge was that I was stuck in the stereotype that I believed and, and what I had learned as a, as a teenager that this was just the way it was supposed to be. You're supposed to work hard and you're supposed to hustle. And if that means you have to work 20 hours a week, and if that means you have to compromise, you know, different aspects of your life, that's what it took to be successful. And for a large part of my early career, that worked. So I think that was that was a belief I had built based on my what I believed to be true in society, but also what had you know worked for me until I until I had my first anxiety attack. And then I really had to start to face um, the 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 life I had created, uh, which is basically working twenty hours a week between you know home and and my professional career, um, and it was making me sick. And um, I went on a journey then to try to rebalance my life. Um, seeking medical help from my medical professional, building an ecosystem of support at home, um, and starting to face the the things I was I believed to be true that and start to unlearn those things. Um, I had to learn that you know I I didn't have to work twenty hours a week to be successful. That, that that's not a badge of honor. Um, I had to unlearn um, that you know um, my mental health and my physical well being you know required more time from me than other things. So it, it was a, it's, it was a long journey, um, for myself personally. And I, and I think the other part of it is, um, I didn't speak openly about it until I came to Walmart, even through that journey personally. Um, I wasn't open about it until this year. It was a very conscious decision for me to, to start talking openly about it. Cause I wanted to start, I wanted to contribute to changing the narrative around it. You know, it's so interesting. You talk about 20 hours a week. I mean, that's 20 hours a week on top of everything else you were doing, right? 20 hours a day. No, oh, 20, 20 hours a day. A day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, Chester, Chester works 20 hours a week. You're talking about 20 hours a day. I was, I was sleeping four hours a, a night. I was uh, working full time, had kids going to school. Um, in my early career, I worked and went to school at night. And then even when I became, I got my bachelor's and I was working at a very successful role, I still felt I needed to do more. So I went in for my MBA. So I had two kids under five working full time, going to get my MBA. And again, I think this is just a belief I had that you had to hustle and burn the candle on both ends to, to make it. You know, isn't it interesting? We've talked to so many executives that say it was a badge of honor. Yes. You know, that I could get by with only four hours sleep. I am Superman. I'm Superwoman, you know. Exactly. And yet it, there's nothing more detrimental than, you know, than doing that. Well, so, so it's interesting. So you say you didn't really talk about it until you got to Walmart Canada. You were, and yet you were in very supportive cultures at Ikea yes. and Starbucks. You were still afraid to speak up. It still was hard for you. to. So what advice would you give managers or give employees to make it easier for them to cross the Rubicon, you know, to, to talk about it. Yeah. Um, for me, I had built this brand that I could do anything. I take the hardest jobs. I would travel the most, most complex problems. People came to me for some of those things. So I had actually built my brand on this like persona that I had created, uh, over this, over my career. And it was really intimidating to 
break that persona and break that personal brand image for myself, um, even in that really supportive culture. So, you know, my advice for um, everyone today is, you know, make well-being and self-care and self-compassion part of your personal brand from the beginning. You know, I think incorporate, you know, um, self-care and self-compassion and well-being into your brand. And, and so you're never having to choose between your own personal well-being and self-care and your career and profession. But I think for, for myself and I think for many uh, senior leaders today, we, that, that concept wasn't even part of our thought process. I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, no one was having this conversation. Right. And you just never considered self-care and compassion and well-being as part of your brand as a leader. That's why I love that you're talking about it now. We're, you know, one of the senior leaders of Walmart Canada, 100,000 associates, and, and you're bringing this up. So, so we love it when guests give us some practical tips to deal with stress. Can you help us understand the things that you do each day, Nabila, to, to really maintain your mental health in a very still stressful job? Yeah. So when I started on my journey of acknowledging that the way I was living and working was making me sick, um, I started to identify the things that I needed to protect to protect my mental health and well-being. And over many years, I built what I call my baseline. And I published my baseline on World Mental Health Day um, on LinkedIn. And again, first time ever kind of sharing this. You know, what's in my baseline, it's not rocket science, but it's the things I must do. Um, and I've learned over time that I need to protect to protect my personal well-being. And if I compromise on these things, I will I will very likely have an anxiety attack. I, I mean, I've practiced, I've done this enough to know that's what happens. So, you know, what's on my baseline? So, first of all, it's it's my it's my spiritual health. My faith is a big part of my my well-being. So protecting the time I need to fulfill my religious practices and, and devotional practices. I must exercise at least three times a week. Um, I'm at a rate now where I'm exercising much more than that, but that's the minimum I must do. I must eat all my meals. I think, again, it's as simple as that, but I was in a reality where many people skip lunch, many people skip breakfast, and they're not really getting the nutrition they need. Sleep, of course, is critical. If I don't get seven hours consistently, I, I know that that affects my well-being and my body. Um, and then, you know, simple things as well, like as protecting time to do the things that I love that aren't work related or aren't chores. I think, again, this is the, the thing about well-being is that it's so it's so multidimensional. It's not just about work, but it's also about how we live. Right. I love reading. I love writing. I dedicate an hour on Sundays for one of those two things that just for myself personally. Having breakfast and dinner with my kids, which when I was traveling 70% of the time, you know, 50% of the time was a, was a treat. Now I can do that more consistently. Um, getting outside once a week. Uh, and then I would say also on my baseline is limiting my exposure to uh, negative news and media. I have canceled and deleted many apps, many news feeds. I really pay attention to what I pay attention to. And you talk about this in your book about the effects of social media and other implications. And this is significant for me. So um, I, I have, I'm very critical about what I pay attention to. And then I take all my vacation without exception <laughs> every single day of it. Again, I remember a time where I would um, feel nervous about asking for two weeks off in a row. And now I, I don't even I, I will take all of my my time off to rest and recharge. And so that's my baseline. So it's very, it's a list. I have it up in my office. I have it in multiple places. And I will, at the end of every week, look at that list and ask myself, have I compromised more than two of these things this week? 
And I know there's going to be weeks where I can't maintain everything on that list, but if I, you know, so I give myself two, 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 um, um, that I, I can potentially compromise, but if I've compromised two things on the list for four weeks in a row, then it's a full stop. Then something fundamental needs to change. I either need to reset something in my personal life, or I need to go to my leader or my colleagues, reset something in my professional life. But that's my maximum, you know, time that I'll allow myself to compromise my baseline. And uh, then, then that's how I use it in a very binary, qualitative and quantitative way. You know, and I love that you published it on LinkedIn, you know, because now the people that work with and for you, they know that is your baseline. You know, we often say, look, the way a leader acts gives everybody else permission to do the same. Have you gotten feedback from your people that you yeah. publishing that is liberating them? Yeah, absolutely. And I've had many other, many people on my team since I published have done their own baseline and shared their baseline with the rest of the team. Many members of the Canadian leadership team, executive team have also done their baseline and shared their baseline with their family and friends and shared it with their team. So we're all in this you know, practice now of saying, what are the things I must protect to, to do take care of myself so I can take care of others. And so it's become a practice across the organization. You know, it's interesting, you know, as we look at your bio and your responsibilities, I, I keep coming back to this. Your job is to be concerned for a hundred thousand associates across Canada. I mean, your holiday card list has got to be just ridiculous. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Could I have a hundred thousand stamps, please? Yeah. So um, help us understand, because you've shared with, with us on several occasions that mental health, you know, well-being, anxiety is the number one issue for for Walmart Canada. So so what are some of the initiatives that that you're sharing with associates? You know, um, what are yeah. you, what are you doing? I, the baseline stuff to, to me seems very personal. Officially, what are you going out to your associates and saying, look, you've got to you've got to get a handle on this and we're here to help. Absolutely. So we have identified well-being and wellness as a strategic priority, um, you know, across Walmart Canada. And I think what's really important is the starting of our belief. We don't believe there's a trade-off between well-being and productivity. We actually believe that well-being is a catalyst for growth. And again, you guys talk about the, you know, this in your book, which is wonderful, which is, I think a lot of people are still trying to wrap their heads around, you know, why is this a business imperative? And it is, we know um, that when our associates are healthier and happier, that they're more productive. And you guys give great, great examples of that in your book. But at the beginning of the, the pandemic, of course, everyone was focused on um, the urgent and making sure that our associates had the health and safety um, precautions in place to be able to take care of themselves and serve our customers. But once we got, you know, kind of past those original, those initial kind of steps in, in securing the safety of the operation, it was really about how do we give access to our associates for uh, mental health and medical health um, in this pandemic environment, because we knew people were less likely to see their medical professional or go to a clinic. So we launched telehealth uh, uh, benefits to all 100,000 associates in, right after the, the onset of the pandemic. And then it was really about um, educating our leaders. I think we, we talk a lot about normalizing this conversation, and um, we're, we're doing many things to do that. But it and you, you guys talk about this in your book as well, is that leaders need to know what to do when a person approaches them and says, I'm struggling with burnout or I'm struggling with anxiety. So it's not just good enough to listen. You need to know how to act and support. And um, it's not good enough you know, either to just send people to an employee assistance program and to a third party to help them. You know, It really is about how to have that conversation with wise compassion 
and um, being able to direct an associate to support them in the things that matter. So lots of focus on educating our leaders around the signs of burnout, the signs of mental health, the signs of mental illness. And then even through that, you know, we were seeing um, leaders telling us that they're dealing with stressors and associates who are approaching them at a rate that they've never seen before because the effects of the pandemic and you know other factors is just exacerbating um, a lot of existing challenges. And we need to do more. Um, so we then partnered with Thrive Global to bring um, the Thrive ZP app to all 100,000 associates and really launch a challenge across the organization to increase um, education and awareness and action around uh, well-being. We started with the executive leadership team two months prior to launching it across the organization and really to give ourselves a bit of runway to lead by example. And then um, we cascaded it across the entire organization. We've also incentivized our associates to participate in the challenge. So, um, you know, and every time an associate, you know, takes a micro step to improve their well-being, they're entered into win prizes and, and cash bonuses um, as well. So giving them a little bit more incentive to participate. Uh, I think another really important step is, is leaders speaking up and telling their stories. And you said it, Chester, the more leaders who share their personal stories, it gives the culture permission and the room for others um, to do the same. The other really big, I think, meaningful initiative for, for uh, HR practitioners out there or other leaders in the, in that are listening is we're completely changing the way we think about well-being internally. It used to be this you know, subset of total rewards. Um, we're converging a cross-functional group of people between um, HR, uh, health and safety, compliance, operations, and we've converged them together to take a completely holistic cross-functional look at well-being from a much broader perspective, physical, mental, uh, social, and so forth and so on. So lots of activity. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Adrian. I am so impressed. I mean, we talked to a lot of companies. Obviously, we did a lot of interviews for the book. This is the most comprehensive plan I think we have ever heard. The focus on, you know, frontline employees and leaders being vulnerable and telling their stories along with incentives. I mean, you know, you, you take a micro step, you win a prize. I mean, how great is that, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's, it, it, this is a, um, a long-term strategic uh, priority because we believe that well-being and wellness is a catalyst for growth. And we've taken a, a comprehensive operating model perspective on it. We also had one of the things we did at the, at the beginning of this journey, because we're also learning and we don't have all the answers. We actually had an internal summit where we brought in thought leaders from across Canada. We brought in government agencies, the Mental Health Commission of Canada and other organizations. Um, we brought in experts and we just learned you know, what can we do differently? What are we not considering? You know, we looked at many different models of well-being and wellness. What's the difference between wellness and well-being? What's the difference between mental health and, you know, uh, mental illness? Some of these nuances that we need to understand. And how do we build a long-term strategic focus to affect all, all of our associates? Our mission here is to reach every associate associate across Canada and educate them on and uh, on on well-being and wellness so that they can thrive um, and what our strong belief is organizational resilience starts with individual resilience. And that's where what we're going after. Oh, I love that idea. It really is. When we look at anything like this, whether it's, uh, you know, you're trying to engage employees, you're trying to help their wellness. Um, I love just what you said there, that it's it's not really a macro 
initiative. It's a micro. It's one by one. It's treating people as individuals. And, and I love what you just said a minute ago is that helping leaders speak up and tell their stories. You know, retail, you know, it, it's a, you've worked in retail most of your career. It's a tough world. You know, the doors are always open. My 91-year-old parents in Lethbridge, Alberta, they can go to their Walmart throughout this pandemic because you kept the doors open. And that creates stress and anxiety. So tell us a little bit more about your leaders. And maybe, get, you know, when leaders are vulnerable, it gives permission for others to be. So, you know, maybe can you give us an example of a leader you've seen doing this recently and what it meant to her or his associates. Yeah. So uh, like I said, we started at the top with the executive leadership team, the CEO and all of the the C-suite and then moving down through the organization. And at every part of this journey, um, we've shared each other's stories. I started with Mike sharing my story. Uh, C- our CEO, Walmart Canada, Ohio, shared his story. Our general counsel shared her story. And then we just cascaded it down. We had a um, uh, have an annual meeting where we invited over 2,300 leaders across the, the company. And we had regional VPs sharing their story. And again, I think this just the more that leaders do this, the more we stop pretending that there isn't a hidden cost to uh, burnout and anxiety, it creates a cultural permission for others to do the same. There's one specific um, you know, example that hit me personally. And it was after I had shared my story, um, because my first anxiety attack happened when I was a store manager. I had a store manager reach out to me and she had just the week prior or a few weeks prior had her first anxiety attack. She was a, a Walmart store manager, a COVID responder. She was a working mom. She was caring for extended family that had moved into her home due to the pandemic. And it just caught up with her and she thought she was having a heart attack. And it turned out she was having a stress-induced anxiety attack. And, um, you know, I was so proud of her and her story gave me so much hope because unlike me, she had the confidence to ask for help. She went to her coach. She explained what happened. Um, her leader and her coach supported her in her recovery. She and, and she got better in the time that she needed so she could take care of herself and then her family and then return to work. And then she shared her story. And, you know, again, I think that um, gives me hope that this conversation is changing and more and more people are likely to ask for the help that they need. That's such a great story. I, I love when people feel safe to have those conversations. So this is a time for a shameless plug for our book, Anxiety at Work. <laughs> you know, you were one of the, the first 10 people on the planet, you know, to, to get a copy. And more than anything, it's because we really like you, right? So we say you the copy. What, what, we're, uh, what we're interested in after reading the book, were, were there any tips in there that, that you gained that you thought, hey, we can incorporate that into, into how we're treating anxiety at Walmart Canada? Were there any tips there's so many. And I get I first of all just want to thank you, Chester and Adrian, for take, tackling this topic, especially in this time. It couldn't be more timely. It couldn't be more needed. And, you know, I was reading it, like hanging on every word, thinking, gosh, where was this book 10 years ago? So you guys are <laughs> 10 years late for me. But, <laughs> but thank you, nevertheless. You're leaving behind. I think. It's the story of our career, 10 years late. <laughs> 10 years late. But you're, you're giving the management community um, tools that are so desperately needed at this time. And I think one of the things you say in their book is really important. Our intention is not to, to ask managers to be therapists, right? That's not. And a lot of the tips that you are offering in the book are things that managers are doing to a degree, but just with a different perspective, with a slightly different higher level of compassion and understanding can really make a difference, right? 
the one that really hit me that really had me um, sitting um, and reflecting on is this concept of FOMO. I think you talk about it in, in chapter four and the the effect that anxiety and um, is having on youth and and the, what we need to do differently to leave a better career path behind for our youth than what we, I think, experienced ourselves. It's really, and I was actually having this conversation with some leaders um, myself last week, this concept of fear of missing out, I translated it to fear of missing an opportunity instead of fear of missing out. So when you're young and you, um, you, know, you have an opportunity presented to you, again, similar to my story, you think that it's okay to do anything necessary to kind of secure that opportunity. And we as leaders need to provide career paths and skills development, especially in this really changing environment where skills are changing so fast, that provide that career progression in a meaningful way, while also educating um, people that are earlier in, in their career that they can achieve success without burning themselves out or compromising their well-being. And the way that I think we do that is, um, again, helping young people build their personal professional brand as a two-part, you know, dimension, it's, you know, how you can grow professionally while also caring for your personal well-being. And that, going back to our earlier conversations, isn't something that we've generally merged together in career development and skills development, right? How do you build your individual resilience and how do we as an organization take responsibility to educate you around building your individual resilience while we also support your, support your career growth and progression? And that needs to be a two-for-one um, effort. So one of the things that I was reflecting on when I read your book is that, um, you know, we're, of course, we're, we're on this journey to, to drive individual resilience. We need to marry that journey of individual resilience and organizationalism with career development and career progression and create a closer link between the two so that um, people that are earlier in their careers can, can do both. I get asked this question often when I talk about this. They, people say, well, you can talk about this now because you're at a C-suite level and a you know Fortune 100 company and you've already achieved success. You know, if you, you know, would you do it again or would you be where you are if you hadn't hustled as hard as you did? I believe I would still have achieved the professional success I've achieved. It probably might have taken me a little longer, right? I, you know, and that may have been the trade-off that I and had, if I knew what I, you know, then what I know now, I would have made that trade-off. You know, I would have protected my personal well-being and health and still achieve professional success, but maybe have it take a little longer than it did. Yeah, because I love what you, you've said is about, you tell leaders at Walmart Canada that you gotta stop pretending there isn't a hidden cost to succeeding. You exactly. Know, we, you know, and and we all do that, right? We we try to hide um, the, the the impact on our families and our personal health, and none of that is healthy to us. How, how do you help a leader though get that when they are you know young and charging ahead or or whatever age and charging ahead and and really have their eye on the prize? Exactly, and I think that we need to I, stop pretending. That's my hashtag, right? Um, when when a leader introduces himself, how often do they talk about the hidden costs or the failures or the setbacks, whether they be professionally or personally? In my experience, when leaders introduce themselves, you don't hear that very often. What you hear is their progressive success, their progressive promotions, their accolades, their degrees. Very rarely do you hear a leader introduce himself and actually talk about the setbacks and the failures. And what I want to, you know, a call to action for all leaders, especially those of us who are in positions of, of um, influence, is to talk about those setbacks, both personally and professionally, to talk about um, the, the failures and to help 
young people see that, you know, it is not just a progressive growth trajectory, but the, it's a, it, oftentimes a roller coaster of, of experiences. And I think then the question becomes is if you take a little bit more time to protect your well-being along with the career development, you can mitigate and minimize some of those, those uh, setbacks and, and, um, and costs that I think other people have experienced. So my intention, I think leaders and, and organizations, we need to redefine success. We need to think differently about what success means. So, um, and I, again, I posted on LinkedIn about this as well, you know, from this at all costs to, you know, at the right cost, what is the right cost, you know, from this, you know, uh, you know, never stopping to resting and recharging, um, you know, from the cry it out and suck it up to the be vulnerable, um, you know, to the suck it up to, to kind of the being vulnerable and, and having the right type of emotional intelligence. And there's still a lot of these, you guys do a great job in your book doing some myth busting, but there's still a lot of these myths and we need to redefine success that so people can achieve success in a healthy way. You know, this has, has been terrific. The time really has just flown by. Uh, thank you so much for being such a great champion for, you know, well-being in the workplace. Uh, you're in a position where you can really make a difference and, you know, pave the way for so many others. I love what you just said about redefining success. It isn't all about the accolades and, and you know, the, the, the titles. It's also about taking care of yourself, taking care of your family and, and your well-being. So, you know, as we wrap up, if what are some of your last thoughts? I, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, there's something we didn't cover that's in the back of your brain. Your definition of well-being in the workplace or, or the one big thing you'd want people to, to take away from our conversation. So we're going to give the last couple of minutes to you just, just to wrap up. What are your thoughts? What do you want people to remember from this conversation? Yeah, I think for me, there's this is a movement, right? And and your book and your work is a contribution to the movement. We talk about having changing the narrative, but I want us to elevate this to this is a movement. I kind of think about this similar to the movement that society and organizations have gone on when it comes to sustainability and ESG. We had a movement around sustainability and ESG where we started with the business case and the why, and you know the companies started talking about their personal responsibility. And, and then we had a similar conversation around diversity, equality, inclusion, right? Again, this is a movement. We had to talk about the business case and the why it's good for business. And then now it's about social responsibility and doing and, and how do we all collectively move in that direction. Well-being and redefining success and creating a generation of people who can be professionally successful while caring for their well-being and their health is a movement. And um, it's an individual movement. And you talk about that in your book as well. You know, it's a or- societal movement, we, you know, and it's an organizational movement. And we need to um, activate all three pillars to create another generation of work that, uh, where people can truly thrive, be professionally successful while also protecting their personal health and well-being. And I really want to challenge individuals, organizations, and society to, to partake in that conversation and that movement. Well, Nabil, this has just been so amazing. Uh, a couple of minutes ago, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, we, we probably need some more questions for Nabila because what's it only been like 10 minutes? And I look up at the clock and 30 minutes had flown by. So I don't know we've ever had one where the time has just gone this fast for us. So so thank you so much. This has been just packed with information, helpful. I could see people listening to this over and over again. So thank you so much, Nabila, for coming on and for all you're doing for all those in your care at uh, Walmart Canada. This has just been terrific. 
Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Adrian. You bet, and thanks for including us in the movement. You know, trying to make a difference. We're 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 honored when we come across executives like you, and especially when you're living up in Canada. Eh? I mean, we just uh, we love that. You know, go, go Canada, go. So uh, yeah. listen, if there's anything we can ever do, you know, to be of service to you and your people, you you know, when you make the call, there's only going to be one answer and it's going to be yes. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Take care. So, Adrian, I mean, just another delightful guest with, uh, you know, information packed you know, tips and ideas. Her personal story is so compelling. Tell me, what were some of your big takeaways? Oh my gosh, yeah, and I've got I've got pages of notes here because this this really was very powerful. Um, you know, senior leader, it's a it's a hard job. You're you're in retail. You're 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 leading folks at Walmart, and uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges with a company that had to keep rolling through the pandemic. Though you've got a lot of people working remotely, sort of head office people. But you got lots of people going in. And so, but I just first off loved her story and how vulnerable she is herself as she introduced her to herself to everybody at Walmart and just being very clear and to saying to people with anxiety, you know, you learn how to hide it. And, and you know, as a teenager, she was told, you just plow through stuff. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. And she says, I had to learn, unlearn bad habits. Um, my brand became, I need to take care of my, my mental health as much as I need to take care of my, my work. Yeah, this, this idea that, and we've heard this time and again, right? You would never know when I showed up to work all the stuff that was, w- w- that was churning. And I love when she said I needed to rebalance my life. That was, that was the big key. Now, what I love about Walmart is they're saying, there doesn't have to be a trade-off between well-being and growth. In yeah. fact, the more that we look at it, you know, employee well-being is a key component of growth. So yeah. it's not either or, it's either and. Yeah. Th- yeah, I no, I right? love that. Yes, yeah, she said well-being is the catalyst for growth for Walmart Canada. Um, and I, I, again, we don't know what, you know, Walmart in other parts of the world are doing. Uh, we just know that this is a very key uh, initiative for Walmart Canada. And the fact that she's saying, look, first and foremost, we've got to educate our leaders. Um, you know, are we looking for signs of burnout or, or other mental distress? Are we, are we compassionate and empathetic when people approach us with problems? Are leaders being encouraged to speak up and tell their stories? I love it that she says, our CEO did, our general counsel. When you can get the lawyer to admit (laughs) (laughs) that she's had some mental strain, then you know you got a pretty good culture. Yeah, I I, I do love, too. She says you got to normalize the conversation, and you have to lead by example. I love when she says, look, I take all my vacation days. You know, and everybody knows I take all my vacation days. Um, You know, I thought it was really interesting because she sort of said what people were thinking out loud. Well, easier for you now. You're in the C-suite. Had you not made all those sacrifices, would you have gone there? And when she said, if I had known then what I know now, yeah, it may have taken me a little longer and I would have made that trade. Hmm. I would have made that deal. And I think that's such an important message that even if it takes you a little longer, it's a better journey. It's a safer journey. It's a more healthy journey. 
Yeah, and I love it when you. Unfortunately, those who are listening in didn't get to see, but but Nabila, when she was talking about her vacation, just had a twinkle in her eye. It was oh, yeah. it was really fun just to see the passion for for something outside of work. Even though you can just tell she loves her work, and I love that she talks to her managers about this idea of FOMO that she got from our book, leading with with uh, sorry anxiety at work. She said. Uh, you know, this idea is not just fear of missing out. It's fear of missing an opportunity. Exactly. And that's what we're all freaking out about, right? Is if I don't act like I'm 100% every day, if I don't like act like I'm I'm indestructible, I might miss out on the next promotion, the next opportunity. And this is where it really often does start at the top is you have to create a culture where, uh, as she said, we talk about our setbacks, our failures. We talk about how individually I protect my well-being and that we're going to redefine success in a healthy way. And this, it's part of a movement. We are just starting to ride the, the beginning of the wave of this, and we better get on board or we're going to be left behind. Right. That organizational resilience starts with individual resilience was, was one of my big takeaways. By the way, I was, I was glad we cleared out that uh, cleared up that 20 hours thing. I, uh, I, you know, for those listening, Adrian was kidding me that I work only 20 hours a week. He knows there's no way I'm working 20 hours a week. It's a lot less than that. <laughs> well, there was that one week, you know, when you yeah. had to. Yeah. I think one week I did hit 21. And, and that would, to me was I needed to cut back. Uh, exactly. That was too much. Yeah. Exactly. Well, listen to all our listeners. Sisters, thank you so much for your time, for, you know, promoting this idea, being a part of the movement. We, we, you know, we'd like to thank Brent Klein, our amazing producer, uh, Christy Lawrence, who helps to find us all these amazing guests for all of you who give us your time and, and listen in. Right, Adrian? Oh, so thankful to all of you who download this uh, podcast so you can listen to it wherever you go. That really does help us build up our, our listenership here and also get some really cool guests. We'd love you to join our online community, We Thrive Together.Global, where we're creating a safe place to talk about anxiety and mental health at work. And please pick up a copy of our new book, Anxiety at Work, available from Harper Business. And for all these great tips, again, thanks to Nabila and, and her wonderful attitude and the movement there. And hey, I don't know about you, Adrian. It makes me want to shop Walmart Canada for sure. <laughs> no That's doubt exactly about it. Right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Yeah.